We hear a lot about evangelical bubbles even on this podcast. People often say that, of course, we know Christians ought not live in their insular spaces. Instead, we need to make better stories that help reflect our world. Some of us, as we saw recently, encourage believers to plant oases of imagination to serve the common good. Others seem to put their own oases onto armored platforms to roll around the territory like tanks and fire paintballs at their enemies. Are these our only choices? Influencing mainstream culture as the nice guys versus more aggressive work to own the libs. Today, we shall explore pros, cons, and legit Christian alternatives that help relieve all of our culture wars. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the peace-loving podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I am E. Stever Burnett, not only the publisher of Brad, a private first class in these conflicts. And I'm Zachary Russell, and to quote Lieutenant Commander Worf, you look for the battles in the wrong place. The true test of a warrior is not without, it is within. And this is episode 178, Should We Weaponize Fantastical Stories to Own the Libs? Get in, loser. We're going to the culture wars. Except this podcast is but for today a neutral observer in the culture wars. Well, we may have some opinions about these, but because we're talking about books and imaginations and storytelling and all of that good stuff, we're going to have a different perspective on this. Uh, not necessarily in favor of all the culture wars, but not necessarily in opposition either. Are we neutral Switzerland? Am I trying to find a winsome third way? No, no, no. I'm trying to find the biblical way, unlike all y'all out there. Uh, I'm going to take the position, Stephen, that we are always at war with something, maybe not East Asia or Oceania or whatever, but as C.S. Lewis said, we live in enemy-occupied territory. By the way, this episode also counts uh, for our Back to Magic School series we sort of stumbled into in the podcast. You know how the back to school season kind of sneaks up on you? Well, it sneaks up on us as well. Uh, we've already visited in this uh, micro series, uh, the Philosophy Lecture Hall. Uh, we went to the playground uh, for the school oasis with Ted Tourneau. And then with uh, Marion Jacobs, we went to a Magic School as well, the uh, proper wizarding school. But now I think we'll go to a more controversial school. It is the Culture War Boot Camp. It's going to be an educational show today, but I think one that is extremely relevant to the situations that we're facing now. Uh, just within this past few weeks, I've seen even more redoubled uh, skirmishes on the Culture War front. And I thought it would be a good time then, especially uh, now that I've been reading uh, Ted Turneau's book, Oasis of Imagination, to engage a little bit more in depth uh, with uh, some of what he was saying about how uh, the culture wars, what is it good for, uh, and then what the role of the Christian artist is, what the role of the Christian fan is as we look at these. Uh, do we use stories to own the libs is the top question we're going to ask, but we're going to go a little bit deeper as well into that. But not before stopping by our top sponsor, Enclave Publishing, which has a new book coming out in a matter of weeks. Destroy the key, save her people and herself. Surrounded by war, Seyo and her companions embark on a journey to seek help from a faraway empire and find Joray, unaware of the trap awaiting them. But what should Seyo do with the key? Who can survive judgment, especially someone as flawed as her? Will hiding the key or destroying it save her people or ensure their defeat? Enclave Escape presents The Eternity Gate, book one in the new Threshold duology by Catherine Briggs. It's available September 12th, wherever fantastic books are sold. Pre-order now online or ask for it at your favorite bookseller or your local library. 
It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio, The Eternity Gate by Catherine Briggs. Get more information in our show notes for episode 178 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsor for all of the details about this and all other sponsors in this episode. Well, getting a secret key and opening a gate of doom makes me hungry, and so does the culture war. So I think we're going to get some emergency rations down here in the ditch to stop by our concession stand. As I mentioned, this is almost a very quickly developed sequel to our episode 176. That's the one about Oasis of Imagination, the new book from Ted Turneau, the nonfiction hardcover textbook. Zach, it is glorious. I'm going to loan this to you whether or not you like it uh, once I'm finished with it with strict instructions for its care and upkeep. Uh, An absolutely essential work for anyone who's hoping to engage creatively with these things and even make some good stories of their own. But when you're going to go out there making stories, everybody else is kind of shooting at each other, right or wrong. We'll get to that in a moment. This is a topic that many of our listeners will have thought about. I was just in a few skirmishes with friends. I think it was more of a practice run in the comments section. A surprising amount of culture warring is uh, fighting in the in the comments section. In the comments section. In the comments section. Yeah. Now, sometimes you should look at the comments section. There's some good stuff going on there if you know where to look. And so we need to find the redemptive value even in the culture wars. But in our last episode, 177, by the way, Marion Jacobs was also talking some about this, kind of challenging, but also praising the work that J.K. Rowling has done, uh, understanding her opponents, uh, getting settled in her views, kind of more of a classic humanist, uh, feminist approach to things, and then going out and trying to adapt what she does to the medium, right or wrong, uh, picking up a bullhorn uh, for the Twitters, but also speaking more softly to people who are across the table from her. Uh, That is going to be a guiding picture, by the way, that I'm going to keep going forward into any of my skirmishes as well as this episode. So we kind of set this topic up twice. It more naturally led in this direction. You cannot ignore the culture war. Uh, If you are a Christian who feels you are called to engage the culture or make stories for the mainstream market or make stories for the Christian market or just find stories in any of these, uh, this is going on. It is part of reality. We've got to face it. That's why we're talking about it here. And to some extent, I've always been talking about it a little bit, uh, hopefully in a way that is all political, not going to get political in this show, not talking about personalities or policies or platforms. It's more about the moralities and the imaginations here. We can't move past that conflict. It's going to jump you. Uh, it's like that RPG where you are trying to go across the floor and all those enemies are crawling around. And you try to uh, creep along the walls to the shadows, and then suddenly uh, the screen starts to telescope in and get blurry. And oh, oh no, you're in a skirmish, and now you got to take turns and uh, beat this enemy with magic and uh, physical attacks. You can't ignore this. But some people maybe need to skip past as much as they can. And Zach, this is something I'll be giving some more thought to later. Uh, some people, I think, have other conflicts going on. Depression. Uh, health problems, family problems, church dysfunctions, uh, the wounds you think you've suffered or have actually suffered from previous participation in other conflicts or even culture wars. I think that people like that count as wounded. They can't handle this war. So what do they end up doing? Uh, they not only end up retreating, which I think is a worthy uh, response, but also they end up blasting the war altogether. Uh, even the good parts version. Uh, I think that might be an overreaction, but it is also something that leads me to empathy and not condemnation. In that case, I want to help those people heal from the damage they've suffered as much as I can. Uh, But I think it also helps to approach us from a different vantage. Like, okay, maybe you can't fight or you're not called to fight in the culture war. You're not going to be some big podcaster with a platform uh, ranting about the latest outrage du jour. 
but perhaps you ought to come up with some biblical ways to support those who can. But I think the most important thing here is to understand that the place of imagination and being a fan of fantastical stories uh, is not an easy truce uh, with the culture war. That's what we're going to talk about here, unless Zach has any other concessions to offer, bring you to this potluck lunch. Yeah, so let's start with this phrase, you can't ignore the culture war. So what is what are we saying there? Well, there's different ways to engage it. That That's, first of all, what we're going to talk about. It doesn't mean that to become aware of the culture war at all times, you must be a fierce warrior at all times, like Lieutenant Worf. Uh, who's always fighting and uh, usually getting beat up, by the way, which is... Hey, Worf sometimes goes into the holodeck with his son and pretends like they're sheriffs in the Old West. Like, not even a warrior race like the Klingons are fighting all the time. Sometimes they're drinking. Yes, so all of life should not be defined by fighting. As I said in the introduction, we are always in a war. We are always in a spiritual war, so we have to be aware of that. Now, listeners of the show know that I really hate the phrase, the personal is political, and oh, science fiction has always been political, uh, because it's obvious what people mean when they say this, which is that your entire life should be at the service of some political cause, and usually it's a revolutionary cause, a, uh, a cultural, uh, you know, <laughs> cultural revolution, which we're not going to get into all that, but we need to be aware of the ideas that are going forward through stories. Uh, such as the very common idea in a lot of Disney films, follow your heart. So if you are a enjoyer of stories, a creator of stories, it's very easy to adopt certain frameworks in our culture and even propagate them. And that's why we say you have to be aware of how these battles are being fought through stories. Um, we, we can say a lot of things about the Kirk Cameron uh, movies uh, for uh, uh, Fireproof, for example. But there was a really great moment in that, Stephen, where the guy, uh, the friend, the firefighter friend of Kirk Cameron's character says, don't follow your heart, lead your heart. And I, I was like, wow, that's actually a pretty good line. And that's a great way to attack that idea uh, by just directly taking it on. And, and yeah, why would we follow our heart? It's, you know, it, we, we, knew, we do need to guard our hearts, but also Jeremiah tells us our hearts are wicked. And, uh, but there's also just the way of lampooning this idea, like the Babylon Bee did in one of their original articles from 2016, <laughs> couple follows their hearts, billions dead. And it's a picture of Adam and Eve eating the uh, forbidden fruit. I think that all this can be summed up uh, by the simple fact that every story, every drama requires conflict of some kind. And yet, as we'll see later, a lot of people are so fed up with this idea of culture wars that they seem to think that Christians ought to be able to influence our world and help get the neighbors saved and get good laws without some kind of conflict. Well, maybe there's this idea that if we just behave perfectly enough, uh, if we're winsome enough, if we aren't like those bad Christians, uh, then more people would like us. Uh, I think that that's unrealistic, but I also think there's all kinds of other problems we see in the culture wars, especially when they try to weaponize fantastical stories or any kind of stories, really, uh, as we are seeing lately. Uh, and yet I'm also seeing some signs that maybe we are maturing past that stage of development. So I'm a little optimistic as we go into chapter one. Uh, we're going to do three chapters here, as always, describing three different approaches to this. The first one is, what do we mean by culture war? Talking about that and what it looks like from where we are standing. Culture war. Basically, in this case, it's saying that stories are too good for our enemies. 
we've discovered that, yes, there's this thing called stories and that the bad guys have been running Hollywood long enough and they are ruining franchises. They're ruining Star Wars. And we've talked about all that stuff before. Stories, good stories are too good for them. So we, as the uh, conservatives, the, uh, the preservationists of all that's good and virtuous, uh, we are going to make our own stories. Uh, and we're going to use these two as uh, one Daily Wire headline said, save conservatism. We'll have all those links in the show notes so you can read what we're reading. Uh, first off, however, what do we mean by culture wars? I think the idea has been around for a long time, as you mentioned, Zach. But this exact phrase comes from an author named James Davison Hunter. There was a 1992 book actually called Culture Wars, colon, The Struggle to Define America. I want to get a copy of this so I can see what they were thinking uh, nearly 30 years ago. Uh, this back cover says this is a riveting account of how Christian fundamentalists, Orthodox Jews and conservative Catholics have joined forces in a battle against their progressive counterparts for control of American secular culture. I might quibble with a word or two here or there, but I'd say that that is basically fair. I still don't like the word fundamentalists. I think it's uh, it's almost universal negative connotations. And there are faithful, decent, non-strict, you know, gospel grace, not law-driven Christians who also participate in this battle or struggle to influence the culture and get better laws. And yet there's all kinds of people, different kinds of people, a lot of them not Christians who share the Christian, uh, this evangelical, particular evangelical Christian belief on this. So it's not just the Christians or even the religious people. There's a lot of secular people now uh, who are enjoying these conflicts. And these wars are also bigger than the United States or American evangelicalism. That's why we're talking about it here. We are not a political podcast, but these conflicts affect all of our imaginations and the kinds of books that we see. And some, by the way, Christian books that we've seen before, like kind of the stereotype of the bad Christian fiction we've seen, uh, has been negatively affected by these culture wars. Uh, The chances are that if you are reading a book, uh, especially like an older Christian book uh, that maybe seems to have something to say rather than a character journey to explore, if the plot goes bad or it's suddenly feeling preachy in a bad way, it might be because the author has seen that story as a tool in the fight. Uh, rather than something to help you rest and recreate and think about humanity and think more deeply about the conflicts that we have and try to maybe even be more like Jesus if it's a Christian-made story. The story goes bad when it's being used as a weapon uh, rather than as a tool uh, or something to enjoy for rest. Uh, now, however, I think we're seeing because of all of the uh, the Hollywood doom and all of that, that is real, by the way, uh, and all of the alternatives that we're seeing technologically and otherwise, I think we're seeing more people uh, on the right or the cultural conservatives, I would call them. Uh, they are waking up and saying, hey, we need some of this, too. Like, I guess we've kind of had country music. I guess we've kind of had sports and we certainly have like AM radio and podcasting and a cable news network or so. But maybe we need some movies, too. No, no, not just documentaries. They're saying we need some fiction. We may even need some fantasy. Guess who wrote, uh, to my surprise, while he was still alive, a time travel middle grade historical fantasy series with his wife? It may have been mostly her, but the big name on the front of those books was the late Rush Limbaugh, the talk radio host. Uh, He was writing a series about a time-traveling magical horse, and he was selling it like a pro, but he seemed to actually have his heart in it, too. 
Uh, I never read them. I imagine it probably was not the best fiction in the world. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm not the audience for it. But we're also seeing... Rush Revere? That's the Rush Revere. Yeah, he made himself the main character. So very much on brand. Yes, and it kind of (laughs) illustrates... Unfortunately, I, I will say this. Um, now, I'm, I'm not a hater of, of talk radio. You know, you know, I'm, I'm a big either. listener of podcasters. Well, you, and have all that. To, you have to laugh a little bit. At it. Exactly. Like, hey, what, you know, does anybody let the fantastical, you know, children's picture book author suddenly have a talk show? No, uh, you're obviously getting help for that. Uh, the ghostwriting, uh, if there is any, only goes in one direction. I mean, I think uh, his wife's name was on the front cover there. So at least they're, they're recognizing that. Um, uh, no hate, no hate here. But uh, is this the only way or should this be the only way uh, that people who are culturally conservative get their books? Is it has to be a big celebrity name on the front uh, who won you over because he said the right things about the president. Uh, but then, yeah, that means you uh, automatically support him as a children's book author. Well, this does seem to be happening uh, with some newer publishers, too, uh, who are selling these uh, kind of virtue oriented books uh, for children, for example. Uh, one of those uh, guys uh, a couple of years ago, actually, Zach, was actually on the show. There was a guy we met at the uh, Teach Them Diligently conference. He was representing Brave Books, uh, somewhat controversial even more now uh, because uh, they've been doing some culture wars uh, with the public libraries. They they got a Kirk Cameron. Uh, they got some other uh, kind of uh, culturally conservative and or Christian celebrities. And they've been going around uh, trying to do read alouds in stories to the kids uh, as a response to a certain other type of person who's been trying to do read alouds to the kids. And Zach, you went to one of those not too long yeah. ago. In fact, you were there Saturday morning, actually had to rush off uh, from uh, Phil Aller's philosophy class because you had to get over there, uh, you know, pick up some uh, some slings and arrows and participate in the culture war skirmish. So uh, how what was your kill count there? Uh, how did the battle go? <laughs> uh, it was very it was a very peaceful battle. Uh, there were some protesters there. There was, it was mostly um, peaceful, a fiery, but mostly peaceful. You know, there's reports of library staff trying to interfere with these events, trying to shut them down. That definitely happened. Uh, it didn't happen here in Central Texas. I believe it happened in uh, Alabama, though, is they, um, they're, they're using a combination of things to shut down these events. So either it's the heckler's veto. It's like, oh, there's so many people that are going to protest it. And oh, we it's can't so loud. It's so oh, yeah, I guess. Sorry, it's not safe Li- anymore. We got to shut it down. Right. And you know, meanwhile, these uh, librarians are emailing or, or organizing these uh, agitators to come shut it down talking openly with each other at their American Library Association conferences about how they can get rid of these events while also acknowledging, weirdly, that they would be playing right into the hands of Bray Books, uh, who gets a lot of press, free press from this. They've been on Fox News about this. Now, I don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes with Bray Books. I have seen one criticism that well, they advertise it and, and book it as a reading by one of the Brave Books authors but then they sort of balloon it out and there's sort of this scope creep that happens and they invite all these other groups in and other speakers and then, you know, and just invite tons more people than the, they know the library can hold. And so the library, you know, has to shut it down because it's over capacity now. And then you get the headlines and the controversy and, and it, so it sounds a little bit like a grift. Well, that's the accusation. Like I said, I don't know what goes on behind, behind the scenes, but I'll tell you what happened at the library I was at. This was at the Taylor Public Library. There was a line that I stood in for an hour outside the library. It's hot. It's hot yeah. out there too. It so dedicated degrees, Central so. Texans. Okay. Yeah. 
And we we finally did get in the library, but the room was full, the uh, speaking room. It probably was uh, 400, 600 square feet, something like that. So the like fire that. marshal is sweating more than anybody right now. And and yes, and he was there and he had a little clicker to, you know, see, make sure that the library was not over capacity. And, you know, at times they would, they would stop people from coming in. They'd say, okay, you got to wait a minute. And then some people would leave and they'd say, okay, you can come in now. So, okay. I understand that, that you have to have standards and whatnot. The librarian there seemed exasperated by the whole thing and kept telling us to kind of move back, to keep the thoroughfare open for just the regular patrons. And I understand that. I thought they did their best to accommodate it while not supporting it. Now there were protesters outside though, from the, uh, you know, let's call them the, uh, the rainbow brigade. Uh, and they have uh, protested many similar events in central Texas and, and not just for brave books. It's, uh, I ran into, uh, a failure, fellow culture warrior, Carrie Smith there. And she recognized some of these protesters from other events she's been at that had nothing to do with brave books. So there's definitely grifting going on that way uh, because they had these bizarre kind of signs that didn't make any sense um, saying that Brave Were they Book- AI signs? Like AI lettering? Just uh, the whole uh, protest movement was uh, artificial uh, Well, they, they throw out the Nazi thing. You know, they, they compare everyone oh, okay, to Nazis okay. that they don't like. And oh, so they, some predictive text protesting. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And they... They compared all the Brave Books fans to people who would burn books, which doesn't really make sense because they're the ones trying to stop the event from happening where people are reading the Brave Books. So I don't really follow the logic there. I don't think there is logic, but they they kept to themselves. They just held up their signs and, you know, they filmed themselves and took a bazillion selfies to make themselves feel important. And, you know, it, it really struck me, Stephen, that part of what's going on with this culture war is there are people who do not believe in the freedom of association, much less freedom of speech. They wore all these shirts about, oh, you know, don't give in to book bans. And yet they're the ones trying to disrupt this event for a book they don't like uh, because, you know, the, the books uh, very much tackle hot button issues like the, the transgender debate. And one of the speakers there was Riley Gaines, who was a female swimmer from the same school that, uh, Will Thomas, also known as Leah Thomas, uh, swam at a, a male swimming on the women's team. And, you know, she shared about her experience. She wrote or co-wrote a Brave Books book uh, about this whole experience. It wasn't exactly about the, the transgender issue. Um, it's just more about the the dirty tactics that are used to silence people like her that that complain about this, that that basically their rights are being violated for the comfort of, of a single person. And so it's kind of like that. What's that quote from Star Trek that Spock always says about, uh, the individual in the group, um, well, the needs of the many must not outweigh the, or the, the needs of the, the many of the, uh, must outweigh, outweigh the needs of the few. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So very it's, famous oft repeated, which there's some problems with that, but the, the point is that, it, uh, her situation was the exact opposite of this, that the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Um, and so her book was kind of about that experience uh, of being, uh, you know, shut down and punished for standing up for her own rights, uh, her, her right to privacy and her right to fair competition. So that's kind of what their books tackle. They tackle all kinds of cultural issues like that through little cute cartoon animals. 
hey, look, I think it's great. I, I think it's great to have those messages in a book that, that's fun for kids. I mean, why not have good messages? There's some things that give me a little pause about the business model of Brave Books that, that some questions I have about the, you know, the, the tactics, but at the same time, it is revealing what we have all just sort of accepted, which is that political forces have taken over public institutions and weaponized them into tools, basically, of a political movement. And so the library, it already is a cultural battlefield. But only one side has been waging war there is, is essentially what this Brave Books thing showed to me. Now, is the solution to wage war, you know, equally and oppositely? Well, that's one strategy. I, I think there are other strategies, but l- let's go back to this Daily Wire thing you mentioned. You know, Daily Wire, the pinnacle of own the libs, right, in conservative media, they've said something very interesting, not only about this Pendragon Cycle series, but about other movies they're making. Uh, they have said explicitly, we are not just making political propaganda. We're not just making conservative films. We're making that's a very good important films. distinction. Yes. Yeah. And and so I, I think that's often the dividing line. Are you making a story just to get a point across? Like you said, are you just making a tool or are you making an experience, you know, a, a journey, an, an adventure? I, I mean, stories are a lot of things, but yeah, to, to boil a story down to just a tool, it, it really, it just doesn't sit well with, I, I don't think anyone really likes stories like that. I don't think so either, but we think that we're sacrificing what we like uh, in order to get something that works uh, for the greater good. Uh, if my house is on fire, I really don't have the luxury uh, to sit out in my recliner in the backyard uh, and, and, and read a nice book. I've got to put out the fire. Uh, and if I have to tear pages from the book and like it breaks down the metaphor, but okay, let's say I'm sipping a drink and I don't have, uh, I don't have the luxury of sitting out, sit, uh, sipping a very nice, expensive drink made by artisans. Uh, if that's the only thing I have on hand, I'm going to make it into a tool to put out the fire. Okay, there we go. Uh, sidestepping the whole book burning idea. We got to have a book burning episode at some point. Not where we actually burn books, <laughs> but we ask like, what, hey, what's this about? You know, do some books actually do need to get burned? Because there's some very, uh, very different takes they, on that. They burn books in the Bible. So uh, they did. They did. And they were all Harry Potter books, as we learned uh, in our last episode <laughs> <laughs> with Marion. Uh, Time traveling Harry Potter books. Yeah, it is interesting in, uh, about the, uh, the the point of this Pendragon cycle series that they're actually shooting in Hungary. So they're 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 building sets there. They're being like a real show, you know. Uh, and not only that, uh, but uh, one of the consultants uh, stepped forward. He's he's been on some of their podcasts before. He's uh, Spencer Clavin, uh, the son of the uh, podcast host and, just and actually Christian up. author yeah. uh, Andrew Clavin. Yes, uh, he outed himself, which is interesting because he's professing married to a man. Uh, he said, yes, I'm, uh, I'm actually helping with the show. I was uh, recruited to make an Atlantean language and here's my headcanon for that. Uh, I think it's linguistically co- connected to old solar, the language from Lewis's cosmic trilogy. And although they don't have the rights to that and they're not making that for him, uh, it's an imaginative exercise in linking together all of the inklings universes, uh, in at least some fashion. Uh, even though I don't think Stephen Lawhead uh, would count as successor to the Inklings, it is his series that they're doing, and it's at least a literary tradition of Christian or Christian-adjacent uh, engagement with these mythologies and making up new mythologies. So you now have someone, uh, Spencer Clavin, who does engage with these political issues, 
but who, like his father, Andrew Clavin, honestly seems much more interested in what these political uh, traditions and ideas are saying about humanity. They get all literary. They talk about art and all that and Shakespeare plays and detective stories and movies and all of that stuff. They understand composition and writing and all of that, all that very human stuff. And I think that this is a good thing that now people are putting politics in their place. They don't mind talking about it. They don't mind firing a shot or two in the culture wars, but their heart is off the battlefield. Their heart is back in something like the oasis of imagination. There's a key quote from this announcement from Spencer Clavin I want to zero in on. He says, quote, there will also be plenty of Easter eggs in there for Tolkien fans. Anyone in the audience with the background in Greek, Hebrew, or even Elvish will have fun piecing together how the syntactical structures here are imagined to have given rise to the later linguistic forms in the real and fictional world. Wow. Fun. Fictional. Imagine. I like those words. Yes. So uh, th- I love this, that he's like, I'm doing this so that the audience will have fun that they will enjoy it. It's going to be something to explore. See, that that's the language of a creator. That, that's not the language of a political activist. It's like, you know, here's a thing you can use to go beat someone up uh, or to make a point or make a stand or speak your truth. It's like, hey, if you love this thing, you're really going to love this other thing. And it's it's going to be a fun thing. So this may be skipping ahead to our third chapter, but I would then ask, does something like this help build bridges or form an oasis uh, for connecting with non-believers? My answer to that would be no, asterisk, if you're only thinking of a certain kind of non-believer, an urban, lefty, progressive, I'm fed up with the church type of person. If that's the only audience of unbelievers you have in your mind, then yes, this won't work. But then I would challenge the premise. Why is this the only audience you have in your mind? Are all of the cultural conservatives Christians? Are we going to go along with their claim to faith just because presidential candidate X, who may worship 11 different gods, talks about believing in God? Are we going to believe him? No, there's a lot of people on the right. In fact, I'd say the majority of people on the cultural conservative side who are not Christians, and maybe some of them don't care to be and they never will be. But some of them now are pursuing these ideas to their logical conclusion. I believe that the Holy Spirit is using ideas like this to draw people to himself, because if they're not uh, into the heart of Christ yet, they're at least seeking some kind of logical consistency. But God is a God of logic. He's a God of order as much as he is a God of love and imagination and truth and gospel grace. All of it is all together in one God. And if they are, I think, in a sense, noble in that regard, then this could be a sign that the Holy Spirit is drawing them. So I would not write off a movie or TV series made by a cultural conservative firebrand clickbait publishing company uh, just because we have a negative connotation with that. I, I agree there can be a lot of negative stuff going on there. But if you think there's something wrong with the conservative media industrial complex, <laughs> you haven't seen the other guys. Uh, it's all extremely messed up. It's messed up there on the battle. There are soldiers who are fighting for noble intent, and they really just want to get back home uh, and plow the fields and take care of their families, and their heart isn't on the battlefield. Uh, and then there may be a mercenary out there, you know, or there may be a traitor, or there may be a grifter, you know, someone just going around and selling cigarettes or weapons to both sides. Like, war is gross. It's messy. 
Does that automatically mean, though, that we need to disregard the conflict or all of the ideas uh, that are being fought over during the conflict? Not necessarily. But I think my firm conclusion, I would say, is that if you think that the primary purpose of making a book or a song or a movie or something like that is just to stuff it into the cannon and shoot at people, uh, then uh, at the very worst, you are a mercenary and there's something gone wrong with your soul. Literally, that is a sin. You need to repent of that. Uh, you now have forgotten what you are fighting for. Uh, you are now uh, the reverse Faramir. You do love the blade for its sharpness and the arrow for its swiftness. And you just can't get enough of the weapons. You have forgotten the homeland that they defend. But you ought to remember the homeland that they defend and fight if you do and however you do based on love not hatred of the enemy. Uh, and then if the time comes where your enemy is wounded, then go into Jesus mode. If your enemy is wounded, feed him. If, he's, uh, if your enemy's wounded, care for him. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some water. And where does that water come from? I think it is the oases, the types of middle meeting places that Ted Turner mentioned where Christians can make wonderful things and not believe this myth that stories are too good for the enemy. No. God has reached out to his enemies with his true story, starring himself as the hero. If God doesn't believe that an amazing story is too good for his enemies, then why in the world would we think the same? I think we should make and share and promote great stories, not because they're weapons, uh, but because sometimes that is the very way that the Holy Spirit can reach that person with the power of his love and grace and truth and repentance in imagination. Before we go further, I've mentioned Ted Turner a few times. Uh, he is a co-author with The Pop Culture Parent, the nonfiction book about fiction, also with Dr. Jared Moore. I slipped into that second sponsor slot again to talk about this book. It's got a dragon on the cover, but it is a practical guide for parents and Christian leaders to help teach kids how and why to engage our world for the glory of Christ. Yes, culture, popular culture is a mess. It's full of nonsense and idols and wickedness but it is also full of wonderful ideas, truth, beauty, and goodness, not because people are so great, but because God is great and he has left his little reflections scattered around the world. And every once in a while, even non-Christians can find those, repackage them into a story, and the story is amazing. How, though, can the mature Christian adult uh, find these common graces and stories, contrast them with the idols, and teach their kids to do the same? That's what we do in this book with specific examples, fun ones, Easy to read, but we go pretty deep in there to give you a solid foundation for pop culture parenting. That book released from New Growth Press and is available at their website. We'll also put our links in the show notes for this episode or go to uh, the lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors link. All right, Zach, chapter two, put some flowers and rifles, creative flowers and rifles. I'm kind of going to roast, uh, roast of the culture war a little bit, even while I emphasized with it. Now I'm going to roast an approach that I would call, my label here, culture pacifism. Uh, that is not uh, Ted Turneau's term. I want to make that very clear. Uh, but I think he alluded, may have incidentally alluded to it a little bit in our episode 176. I remember uh, Zach, he was talking about the two different approaches of culture. One was the it's all evil approach. And then the other one that he basically summed up with a sound effect going something like this. Ugh. In other words... <laughs> You're just kind of yeah. drunk on it. Yeah. It's, oh, so awesome, man. Look, you know, 
uh, that, that, that show people being nice to other people and they challenge the bad guys. Now uh, it's just so cool. Um, I think mentalism. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, and yet, you know, there are some times when I'm reading like a, a good Christian review, uh, of a movie or something. Yeah, it's a sentimentalist approach. And all they're doing is talking about how great it is and how wonderful it is. And how, isn't it great that a bunch of people can get together and sing as one at a concert? It's just like a church and they get a little high off their own fumes there. Uh, I think that without uh, Ted's qualifiers and his material, uh, all of this stuff would sound like this culture pacifism approach. Uh, but Ted covers his basis. He reminds us, hey, no. Culture has fallen. Human hearts are fallen. We are sinful. There's a lot of good there, but there's also a lot of idolatry there. However, I think that many of our listeners might find this view attractive if you're like the person I talked about in the concession stand and you'll go tired of war. Either you've been in the culture war or your family was or the church back home was in the culture war and or you're just sick of hearing about them all the time. Why should that celebrity's book get all the attention just because he's louder in the culture wars or has more power in the culture wars and maybe shares a conspiracy theory and gets all the likes and shares and attention and TV appearances while you, the Christian creator, trying to be faithful and true and not get all mixed up in that stuff and you languish in obscurity. Why should the big top warrior get all the attention? I'm laughing a little bit, but it is really serious. And I understand that can contribute to something like PTSD. Uh, in a real war, people have post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, shell shock, they used to call it. But now like you're having trouble living because you're so tired uh, of all of the battle and you need to retreat and you need to recover from that. I think there's a lot of people who feel that way about the culture wars. Uh, this is a much, much, much milder version of actual PTSD. But I don't know what else uh, to, I can compare it to. I think maybe other folks just realized uh, the truth that fighting all the time is not healthy. You are not meant to be a 24-7 warrior for anything. Uh, God has built work rest rhythms uh, into the week of creation. Uh, that seems to say that the Sabbath is a permanent institution. Uh, and all of human history now is moving toward that eternal rest after Christ returns. We're not meant to work all the time or fight all the time. Uh, but in reaction to this, I think that some Christians embrace what I could only describe as culture pacifism. Uh, they get a little too drunk on the idea of art and all that. Uh, they see the creator, the musician, the storyteller as something like a, a more developed kind of high priest uh, that has a unique capacity to connect us to the divine. And they see that art and stories and imagination are the key to renewing humanity. Uh, walls and weapons don't work. Uh, make art, not war. Uh, lay aside your guns, uh, beat your swords uh, into printing presses and make some books. Uh, turn that uh, Tommy gun into a movie camera and make a beautiful film that will connect us all. Uh, let us strive for peace. In fact, let's not even criticize people like even a, a gentle criticism, a gracious criticism of a false doctrine um, that just hurts people that just puts them off the gospel. What does the world think when they see Christians fighting against other people? We don't want anyone to be hurt. We want them to love Jesus instead and be saved. So don't criticize. Uh, let's be on our best behavior instead. Um, that is kind of a pacifistic approach. And I have seen that Zach. I don't mind. I'm not going to call anybody out here, but I have seen a streak of this, uh, even in the Christian fantastical author community. And I understand. I also think that that goes back toward what you said earlier, Zach, a kind of sentimentalism. 
But just as I understand why people would like a Thomas Kincaid painting or a Hallmark movie, I think there are places for that. Even those things can reflect a legitimate hope. I think we ought not go too far in that direction. Uh, life is conflict. A story is conflict. There is conflict in every story. If not, then it is not a story. It has nothing to do with reality. And we've already had to deal with a lot of um, Christian naivete in earlier Christian fiction or even some newer Christian-made fiction. Uh, I think we can't afford to flirt with that kind of naivete anymore. Stephen, I think it's absolutely true that there is a time for us just to enjoy stories, um, no matter what, <laughs> and even if they are stories that aren't important. You know, that's a, one of my story allergies is stories that are just important. But I want to um, kind of uh, sort of pick on my coworker Jonas, but also I think he's a good example. A couple of years ago, he watched the movie. I think it's the Meg about some megalodon shark. And, you know, it's like any shark movie. Everything's going to happen that you think is going to happen in a shark movie. And I think he watched on the airplane and then he watched it a couple other times. And we, we were just kind of teasing him about it. And we're like, why are you watching this dumb movie, Jonas? And he's like, you know, sometimes you just need to watch a dumb movie. And I thought that's that's very profound. And it's it's very true that you don't need to uh, criticize everything. You don't need to analyze everything. You don't need to groan at everything. You don't need to hate watch things. Uh, by the way, I'm saying this to myself because uh, as we record this, The Wheel of Time season two just came out on Amazon Prime. And I, I try to hope watch it, but I end up groan watching it. So we'll see how I do it there. Taking my own advice. But in terms of this whole approach to culture of just kind of drooling over it in this sentimentalist way, you know, Stephen, Luke 12, 15 comes to mind where Jesus says, Watch out! Be on guard against all kinds of greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So, how can we be greedy? The way that people are greedy now is by consuming too much entertainment and just watching one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, with no discernment and just kind of taking everything in. Now, we have to be aware that stories that have tens or hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into them are going to come with some kind of message. This is what our whole episode with Ted was about. And we've had other episodes about this, but let's just take one idea in our culture right now that's being fought at every level, which is the idea that you can be born in the wrong body, that your, you know, your body's sex and your soul's gender can be different. They can be a mismatch. And there's not a binary, there's a spectrum. Now, this is a very specific idea that is laundered through a lot of stories. So it's everything, Stephen. Like I went to uh, Barnes & Noble recently. Every front-facing book had something about this. Uh, in, in the kids section, in the adult section, just everywhere, or sorry, every section I went to had a book uh, promoting this idea. So do Christians need to write and produce uh, stories that counter this idea? Well, not necessarily. We need to be aware that this is not coming into our own stories and into our own thinking. I think a lot of what is driving cultural passivism is just greed. <laughs> it's just gluttony of, of cultural goods. And by doing that, we can swallow a lot of bad ideas. I mean, I, men I mentioned the, uh, the gender ideology stuff just because that's so top of mind on everything. But there's a ton of ideas that get laundered in. And so 
we do have to always be sort of at war because Jesus told us to be. He told us over and over again to watch out for false teachers. Watch out for false gospels. We're, we're told all over again in the epistles that your enemy prowls around looking for someone to devour. We are at war. And that war does take place sometimes to an extent in the cultural battlefield. And it is a cultural battlefield. Uh, just to completely overemphasize that, all of the martial imagery here in this episode is imagery. Uh, if someone then is freaking out because they're expecting some actual uh, physical conflict, uh, you at best have let your imagination run away with you. Uh, at worst, uh, you're actually trying to get something started, uh, and we're not going along with that. Uh, the Christian sees these battles as primarily spiritual. And I think that's why I can't go along, like you said, Zach, with this kind of cultural pacifism. Uh, people will seem to do uh, what the scripture warns against, say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Uh, you are being a sentimentalist. You're burying your head in the sand. There is a battle going on, however you define that or your own role in it. Uh, it is happening. But Jesus also warns uh, against uh, vengeance, uh, against being this kind of mercenary, you know, fighting in the battle for the fight's own sake. Um, that is also terrible. Uh, Jesus, oddly enough, has an extremely Christ-like view on this, as opposed to the <laughs> idolatrous extremes that people come up with. I don't know how he does it. It just must have something to do with his nature, being the perfect, righteous, <laughs> uh, omnipotent creator of all. Uh, and yet he's also sent us into the world. And a lot of people will say, well, the world is watching, so we ought not be so warlike. You know, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, what do we mean by the world? Like I always challenge them when they say the world is watching. So we can't criticize that person. Uh, we can't uh, be so mean about this uh, political thing over here. Like who, who means the world to you? I, I want names people that I like. I want specifically, it often means the people that I like or with whom I most identify. In some extreme cases, the world is a mere projection of the self. I feel bad when I see these conflicts. And so when they say the world is watching, it really is secretly saying, I'm watching and this hurts. Well, in that case, I would love to talk about that. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not even going to make fun of you for using a, a language to describe yourself that is kind of evasive and suppressing the truth. I just want to get to the heart of the discussion, uh, especially if I know you and we're in person. Uh, don't use these uh, big struggles that we read about in newspapers or watch on the TV uh, as a mere construction to describe your own feelings. Let, let's talk about those. Uh, this is now the territory of the personal and the imagination. Uh, don't grab for a group of other victims out there to hide behind uh, as sort of an emotional shield. Uh, enemies, though, real enemies uh, in the world have tragic backstories. Yeah, the best enemies in stories have the most tragic backstories. Uh, and yet, unless they have an amazing redemption arc, uh, a great book, as in a great reality, will show the enemy going down. They are still the enemy that does not change this identity that they have. Uh, Jesus, the same Jesus who warned against vengeance and going off to fight when you're not supposed to fight. He never said you have no enemies, only friends that you're calling an enemy. He's not a sentimentalist. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you, which presumes enemies are real and that people will persecute you even if you're doing everything right. Let us dispense with this naive notion that if only Christians did everything right and weren't so dang political, then more people would like us uh, and the watching world would embrace Jesus and come back to church. Some would, if you do it right, 
but not all. Certainly not all. And I would say the majority aren't even watching. Uh, They're stuck at Barnes and Noble looking up books on witchcraft and how to be a good (laughs) social justice warrior. Sometimes a Christian, a faithful, peace-loving, story-loving Christian will say no to an enemy. Love often means saying no. Unfortunately, dysfunctional people lost in their sin and idolatry and pain will view this as an act of war. They view disagreement as an act of war. And then they will start engaging in the culture war, and it wasn't your fault. Stories and imagination are not going to help, whether they're the weaponized cultural kind or the nice-de-nice stuffed as a flower into the rifle kind. Stories and imagination will not heal sinfully dead hearts. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And that's at more of the individual level. I think at more of the societal level, I think we need to admit that some conflict is necessary, cultural and sometimes even physical. That's another episode. But I'm referring to Romans 13, which talks about how governments should reward good and punish evil. In some sense, they are the servant of God temporarily until Jesus gets here to be the ultimate king. And in any culture, especially a republic uh, like the United States has, citizens act as part of a government, and we must see the good there. Citizens who are behaving uh, like citizens often will come across like culture warriors. Uh, And we need to sorry, and we need to discern whether they're being the good kind of peace-loving warrior who's reluctantly fighting, or the bad kind who's just hooked on the cultural war bloodlust uh, and can't get out of the fight and is making a killing. Uh, selling weapons to one side or the other or both. But at the same time, we're not always fighting a cultural oppressor. Even in a real war, sometimes both parties need to lay down their arms or send their diplomats uh, to a nice building somewhere. Every legitimate war has pauses, retreats, alliances, and treaties, and hopefully even peace at the end of it. Don't start a culture war that you aren't prepared to win And certainly don't get into the battle because you love the battle so much and you're like one of those mercenaries from a Western or a science fiction military sci-fi book somewhere. I don't like those kinds of characters. They always end up tragic, whether or not they're tragic at the time we catch up to them with the story. Uh, The best kind of warrior is the one who lays aside his sword and wants to pursue the path of peace. And some of my favorite characters, by the way, are like this. Uh, Lakes and I are enjoying uh, another anime adaptation of the Rurouni Kenshin story. It's a manga and an anime from Japan where it's about a samurai uh, who lays aside his sword uh, that he used to kill many people during the revolution. And now that they're in a time of peace, based in real history, by the way, Japan's going to try out some democracy for a change and do away with some of these uh, class distinctions. Now he does carry a sword, but it's a reverse blade sword. He perfectly exemplifies the idea of the reluctant and repentant warrior who now does want to still use weapons, but he will not kill his enemies. He will beat them soundly in spectacular slow motion uh, animated battles uh, using secret moves and the ultimate attack and all of that stuff, Uh, but he will not kill. Why? Because it would poison his soul even worse. It would reawaken his bloodlust and he would forget why he's fighting. Uh, I love that kind of character. A peaceful warrior who also loves poetry and normal things and friends and family and who is fighting for the good, uh, not just for the evil. Yeah. And you know, that is the attitude I saw at that brave books event at the Taylor public library. People were just there to see Kirk Cameron, Riley Gaines, see these books, see others that shared their values. Uh, they were there for patriotic reasons, Christian reasons, um, 
cultural, political reasons, but it, they were very peaceful, like just peace loving people that just want to enjoy the things they enjoy. And, you know, it, it's really uh, horrible how they were being slandered in a lot of uh, popular media and social media. We have to be aware that there is a emotionally manipulative tactic that happens a lot, and especially in Christian spaces, which is, oh, just turn the other cheek and lay your weapons down uh, because we want these other people to be in charge. And why are you holding on to your power? You're just afraid. And, you know, this is a very gross (laughs) tactic that I, I see employed a lot. Pretty manipulative uh, in many yeah, cases, yeah. Right, and, and even the phrase culture war, culture warrior, you're just a culture warrior. It's used in a very shameful way, w- w- and it's used towards people that aren't that way. They're just like, hey, I just want to go to the event I want to. I just want to read the books I want to. I just want to gather with the people that I want to without interference. And I'm not going to do that in a, a mean-spirited way. I'm not going to do that in a violent way. But I'm going to say I have rights to. I get to read and watch and enjoy the things I want too. And if you're going to get in my way, I'm going to say something about it politely and, but firmly. Now that is not culture warring. (laughs) That's just trying to live your own life. It's really the other people that are culture warring and they are projecting that aggression onto others. It's the cry bully phenomenon that we see all the time now, but let's just define something the the culture war is often just a war of ideas. It's not just a war over political policies or what's in the media or what's at the box office. It, it's just the art that's being created. It's the ideas that we accept. It's the Overton window that we accept as, you know, the acceptable discourse in our society. We don't have to be shouting down anyone and we don't even have to be you know, just trying to promote our own side and our own stuff like zombies, as we've talked about many episodes ago. Uh, but I, I also don't think we should be shamed for liking the things that we like and, you know, not embracing these other weird propaganda kind of things. It's okay to just say out loud, these are the authors I like. These are the songs that I like. These are the movies I like. These are the books I like without apologizing. At Lorehaven, we are finding a lot of those books that you like, and we actually, come to think of it, have an oasis of imagination, one could say, in our third sponsor, the Lorehaven Guild. That is our exclusive Discord community, more like a castle, really, uh, that is available to anyone who subscribes free at lorehaven.com. Just subscribe free there, and then we send you your exclusive invitation code to this Discord castle. What lies within those hallowed halls and walls? Our main attraction is monthly book quests. Every month, one of our faithful quest guides chooses another Christian-made fantastical novel uh, to explore throughout those next four weeks or so uh, with a variety of questions and discussion and just a good time. It is not a culture war space. Lay down your arms. All firearms must be deposited with the proprietor. In fact, in a couple of rare cases, we've kicked out people who are trying to start some culture war struggles. You've got to have a space to retreat from that stuff. Otherwise, if you are fighting, you forget why you're fighting. And stories are a terrific way to rest, recuperate, share, debate, maybe, uh, but for the good, uh, not just for the sake of the fight. Our current book is uh, called The Beast of Taliesin, and my friend Elijah David is leading a book quest through that. 
Uh, it's not too late to join in. Just go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors and uh, leap into the guild, do a quantum leap, uh, do a portal, whatever it takes to get you there. Uh, you can also talk about podcast episodes and other topics uh, that are uh, adjacent to Lorehaven. Which leads me to chapter three, cultural engagement. I think a lot of people say that, and I think we're going to be using that word engagement here uh, with its more martial connotation, which is not the meaning of the word, but hey, folks, we want to keep the metaphor. In this case, I'd say that if you are to engage the culture with that inevitable conflict, then you must know your rank and mission. I've kind of been alluding to this all along, uh, but now I'm going to flesh it out. Uh, there's this suspicion that I think people have, and I think sometimes it's an escape from some other pain that's going on, the culture war, especially if you get lost in the internet version of it, which may be different from the real version of it, can be very distracting. Oh, it's a wonderful way to forget your troubles. You just go onto the internet and you see all these big fights and suddenly all your little fights just melt away. You don't need to think about the sick pet. Uh, or or the relative who hates you or any of that stuff. You can just think about all the big guys out there, like all those angels and demons in the culture war. And that's where the real battle is. And of course, Christians don't know that is not where the real battle is. The battle is in the hearts of men, you know, it just manifests in these uh, in these external ways. But you ought not to think of yourself as a full-time soldier in these conflicts. Not even full-time soldiers are full-time soldiers. There are some breaks. Uh, if you lose a limb in the war, they will at least put you back in the hospital. So I don't oppose the idea of the culture war. I don't like the word. I don't like what it stands for. But I do believe that some things should be fought over. And in fact, with people who understand the terms of engagement and respect one another, like even a comment section debate or a real debate uh, among friends can be more like a healthy sparring session that enables both or one of them to get better at this. Uh, it does matter. If, if you see all of life centered around the endless fight, then suddenly all you can see around you are tools, weapons, things to be hurled at the enemy rather than things to be enjoyed for the glory of God. The good things that a healthier conflict should defend. We may debate uh, actual war. Christians have been doing that for a very long time, you know, ever since and even before uh, Jesus told Peter to put away his sword, uh, but then also told people to carry swords for self-defense when they were going out into the uh, towns and villages. Uh, there's always been a place within Christianity to ask about the wisdom of self-defense uh, and conflict, whether it's at the personal level uh, or at the at the national level. You know, Romans 13 figures into that. That's another podcast. Um, but I think it helps just to know that this is a this is a much older tradition than you know 1992 when the guy made up the word culture wars, or the 1980s or all the political stuff going on. Like Christians have always been debating about this, uh, and I think we should discuss this because it does relate to how we imagine our world, and therefore it affects our stories. Every person who's ever made a story, every Christian author, has had something to say about these conflicts. It is inevitable, and, and that's okay. Just like popular culture, like. Just roll with it. Uh, look at it, uh, train to look at it in a more biblical fashion uh, rather than going along with some of the nonsense that people have come up with this. Everyone has something to do with the culture wars, whether you're on the home front uh, or you imagine yourself on the front lines or maybe you actually are on the front lines. But if you are thinking only of war all the time, then you are turning into a self-destroying mercenary. 
And if you're thinking only about peace and you wish there were no wars at all, um, then I think you are uh, forsaking your duty. You don't want to enable the enemy. You don't want to enable the worst guys on your own side who can now reject you because you're not being a smart critic about it. Uh, there are more biblical ways of looking at this. So know what your place is in, in this conflict. For example, if you're reading a novel, let's say I'm reading a, a science fiction book or I'm watching uh, the show that I can't shut up about now, the One Piece live action on Netflix. It's really good, really, really good, amazing show. Uh, if I'm doing those things, I am not doing the culture war. What is my job there? My job is fan, viewer, friend, family member, recreator and above all worshiper of god just imagine little hats with labels on them and i'm swapping out those hats or i'm wearing some couple of those hats at the same time stacked on top of one another am i always wearing the beret from my culture war uniform no i am not what am i wearing ultimately in eternity i'm going to be wearing a crown of righteousness given by my king that is my primary hat his worshiper that is my job. I'm a saint. But I also have many other hats that I wear uh, as a human being embodied uh, in a culture, in a country, as a citizen. Know your rank and mission. Know which hat you're going to wear. Practice discernment, by the way. Uh, knew, know who the enemy is. I'll get to that in a moment. But I'm interested, Zach, like what hats you're wearing. Like even if you're going yeah. out to this library, like what, Zach, I'm going to ask specifically, like what hats did you have on? When you went to this arguable culture war skirmish that was actually kind of more of a fun carnival, but only interpreted as a skirmish on the social media. Yeah, I didn't really know what to expect going into that event. I had some friends that were going there and actually ran into more friends there. And so that was just fun. Were just you there to, there to own the libs? Were you looking <laughs> for libs to own, though? It didn't sound no, like it to me. Not really. I, I figured that there would be protesters. I just read in the news uh, that the night before there was some, like I said, some big skirmish at a library in Alabama, there were over a hundred protesters that tried to push their way into the event and shut it down. And the police had to kick them out. Um, and then there was another event where the librarian just unilaterally shut it down and brave books sued them and won in like an emergency injunction or whatever. And so I thought, okay, there might be something crazy like that. Um, I didn't think it would be a dangerous thing. I thought it would be a contentious thing. And so the first hat, this is going to sound weird, but the first hat that I wore was as a dad. I took my oldest daughter there who's, a, who's in high school and I said, um, now let me just pause for a second and say, I don't think, I don't generally agree with parents taking kids, but and I mean young kids to political events and protests and anything that could be dangerous. Your job as a parent is to protect your children uh, you do need to raise them to be in the world, though. And so there does come a point, I think, when they're old enough. Like I said, I, my daughter's in uh, junior in high school right now. She's going to be in college on her own in just a couple of years. And so I said to her, look, you're going to see protests pretty soon when you go to college. You're going to see some events that are contentious. So I want to take you to one that might be mildly contentious. I don't really know what to expect. I just want you to see it for what it is and let's talk about how to respond to it. So that was the the main hat I was wearing. I wasn't there representing anything else other than just my my kid, but um you know, I wasn't a part of the event. I wasn't planning to speak up or speak out or speak against anyone. And actually both sides completely left each other alone. They all had cameras. Everyone's, you know, just like I said, everyone's just there to build their own social media clout. 
So I don't really care for that either. I, like I said, I was there to meet some friends too. And that was, that was a great thing. And, and I think sometimes you just need that camaraderie in the culture war. You just need to look someone in the eye that you agree with and just, just kind of say, Hey, this is great. You know, this is, this is fun to enjoy this together. And I'm not going to apologize that it makes someone else mad because their emotions are their business, not mine. I'm not going to take ownership for someone's uh, anger at these books or whatever. But, you know, in terms of our rank and file, Stephen, I think that only some people are called to oppose other people by name and directly. You see in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul was out in the streets and in the marketplace and the synagogues, reasoning with people from the scriptures, arguing with them. He went to the Areopagus, you know, he went wherever <laughs> the action was the hottest. And he usually well, he caused some riots too, by the did. way. Yeah. yeah. Right. What, and, what was the watching world going to think <laughs> about him then? Oh, he wasn't loving his neighbor, was he? Yeah. So he was in the middle of the maelstrom, but not everyone was, you know, you don't see Timothy, Silas, John, Mark, Barnabas, the other apostles uh, always doing that. Uh, you, you see Paul doing it. You don't see Luke doing that. So it's okay to be behind the scenes. It's okay to be a prayer warrior. It's okay to be a writer. It's okay to be a singer. It's okay to be some other kind of person creating culture or just creating a family. But we are all at war uh, against the devil. And, And we do have to remember our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens uh, Ephesians 6:12 we are warriors all of us against the true enemy and we do have to remember you know that there's there's some critique we could give of the matrix some other time but I've always loved that scene where Morpheus takes Neo into that simulation and he says you know look around you what do you see businessmen lawyers uh school teachers and the very minds of the people were trying to free, but they're so addicted to this system, the matrix that, you know, that these agents can come into them and take them over and turn them into combatants. And he's like, that makes them our enemy. But, you know, we're not at war with these people. We're at war with the agents that are using them and enslaving them. And we, we have to have that mindset that, you know, not, not to get Gnostic or anything, but like we, we have to have the mindset that the enemy of our souls is using our neighbors against us at times. And that's a tricky thing because we do want to see people free from the grip of evil and lies. And sometimes that takes going toe to toe with someone verbally, I'm saying in in the battle of ideas and standing up and saying no, because if you truly love your neighbor, you will confront the sin that's destroying them. You know, I know everyone hates the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, but you can't love a sinner unless you hate the sin that's destroying them. That is so correct. And I think that goes to what Marion said in our last episode. Uh, She was talking a, a lot about the idea of loving your neighbor and the fact that, yes, you know, you will not enable the sin that the neighbor is into, but you must love them as an individual. Yes. Uh, and I think I hit on the idea there, or maybe she did, I forget who it was, uh, the idea that, yes, there may be a time, if you're in front of a crowd of people, if you're called to do this kind of thing, if you have that kind of platform and that's your job, if that's the hat you're wearing, then yeah, you do need a bullhorn. 
you may be speaking more loudly. Uh, you may be speaking in more black and white terms. Uh, you may not be acting like uh, a creator of art or music or stories. That is not your job. But just because that person gets a lot of attention, does the Christian individual then who is sitting across the coffee table at coffee with an unbeliever friend, because maybe you just got back from watching a movie or something together, doing some good cultural oasis stuff like Ted Tourneau says, do you then pick up that bullhorn and scream at that person some culture war talking points uh, from less than two feet away uh, <laughs> over the nice little coffee cups and, and the cutlery? Absolutely not. Uh, you are wearing the wrong hat. That is stupid. You're being a bad, dumb culture warrior there. Uh, you don't understand when it's time to stop fighting and actually engage with the person as a person. You don't know if maybe you are dealing with a potential defector from the other side. You're not being a good agent. You are not being a good culture warrior in that case. Uh, you are behaving foolishly, not wisely. I think that really is the image I'd like to keep, uh, especially when we're talking about people who just want to own the libs. Um, I don't want to own any lib. Okay, there we go. Cancel me. Conservative media can cancel me there. Why? Because I am not my own. I was bought by a price. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am his bondservant. And I want Jesus to own the lib just like this. Uh, my call to evangelism has got to somehow interface with my other callings, my lesser callings uh, as an evangelist or a parent or even as a creator of content like that ought to be everything I'm doing ought to be to glorify him. And so I guess I close uh, maybe by going to a brief engagement that I saw. I was reading over a, overall, I think, good article that I think both Cap Stewart and I would have more to say about it. I'd written in an article at the Gospel Coalition about the culture wars. And at one point, Cap asks in this article, are we seeking to destroy or to rescue our opponents? And that sentence as written, I think, uh, would get uh, the reflexive response. Well, of course, I don't want to destroy anyone. I, I want to rescue my opponent. Uh, instead, I would answer, it depends. <laughs> it depends on what the opponent is doing. Uh, and for this, I can actually go to maybe some therapeutic language, because in addition to people being rebels, uh, versus redeemed, uh, adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, people are also on that victim to victimizer spectrum. Everybody is a victim to some kind of sin that is not their own. It only matters then what they choose to do with that. Every victimizer or oppressor has been a victim at some point. At what point in the spectrum is that person? Have they given themselves over uh, into being part of a crowd, into causing destruction, uh, into trying to fight for bad and unjust and wicked laws? In that case, then, I do want to destroy or even own with facts and logic a person like that. And then once he's, in a sense, destroyed by something like God's law, not just facts and logic, but the law of God will hopefully lead to conviction under the Holy Spirit, then I do want to rescue our opponents. I absolutely do. But a lot of us can testify that we've come to Jesus, that we've been rescued by him only after, in some way, we have been destroyed. We've got to practice wisdom to know at one point that person is on the story. Uh, and we've got to understand that stories are not the means. Fantastical stories, artworks, creative stuff, uh, water from the oasis ought not be loaded into the cannon uh, and then shot at people blindly. Uh, that is foolish. I think the place of imagination storytelling is not to be forced into a cannon and shot. 
uh, but to be used, as Ted Tourneau said, as a meeting place, a place of rest and recreation uh, and talk in good faith or even outreaches to people who are acting in bad faith so that we can build bridges with our neighbors. So with all those qualifications, I'm right back to what he said. Don't serve coffee to a combatant, but don't scream out of man of peace. Know what hat you're wearing and above all, seek to glorify God, uh, not just fight for the fight's own sake. Well, and what makes stories unique in their power is it shows someone changing. And how do we change? Usually with a lot of time. We don't change overnight. And, and that's part of the problem with you know, how hotly contested so many issues are and how we are going about dealing with those issues is that we want immediate results. You know, we, we want someone to get owned or destroyed. You know, I'm just, I'm so sick of these headlines, Stephen. Is it kind of a side note here, but very on topic. I, I'm so sick of these headlines. It's like, watch this person get destroyed. And it's like, okay, all that this is, is someone being embarrassed or proven wrong in a very forceful way or a very, uh, you know, exciting way, but it's not that person changing their mind. And really so often this happens with like politicians. It's like, Oh, watch this politician rip this other politician to shreds. And I mean, so they're not physically doing that. They're verbally doing that. But what does it matter unless the policy changes or, or someone goes to jail or, or whatever? Like there, there's never any actual consequence. It's just uh, watch this cat fight, you know, watch this verbal judo happen and nothing changes. It's just, it's just spectacle. Okay. It's just kayfabe. It's WWF. Uh, it's a fake fight that doesn't do anything. And that's what I'm really sick of because the way that people actually change is through a kind of a slow process. The organization I'm with, the the saying is, you know, people change with truth plus grace plus time. You know, we, we need all of those things. And that's what stories are so good at portraying. And to really want someone to change, you have to kind of love them. You, You have to take their side and root for them. There's just so many great stories where where someone goes through this major transformation, and you and you buy it because, you know, they're usually the last one to get it. Uh, they they come uh, through a very long journey and a painful journey, and that's but it's risky, right? It's it's risky to show that because you know books take ten twenty hours something like that to read. I guess I'm thinking of audiobook speeds. That's a long investment. That's much longer than a movie. That's much longer than a YouTube clip. That's much longer than a tweet. But that's true change. You know, people's lives take a lot of time to change. And by investing our time in creating and sharing stories, we are, you know, that's an act of love. It's an act of empathy of saying, I know that this is hard. You've swallowed this idea or that idea or this bad way of thinking and operating, but there is a better way. It just might take you a while to get there. That's what we hope to do at Lorehaven is to be an oasis like that. Uh, Whether you're a culture warrior or not, uh, get out of the tank, lay down your arms, all firearms deposited at the front door, come in for some rest and refreshment and maybe a restoration of humanity uh, that we need uh, based on the gospel and the biblical virtues that we ought to be, uh, in a sense, fighting for in the culture uh, in order to help serve our neighbors, not just own them with facts and logic. 
at Lorehaven. We are doing that in our little non-clickbaity ways uh, with the book quest that I mentioned uh, for the uh, fantasy novel, The Beast of Taliesin. You can uh, sign up at lorehaven.com slash subscribe and get your invitation to the Lorehaven Guild. Join that book quest. And then we're planning an extremely creepy one coming up in October that we will be announcing a little earlier than usual so you can uh, get a copy of the book. Our recent book review uh, was for The Looking Glass Illusion, uh, the new fantasy by Sarah Ella in her Curious Reality series. We also have a new review coming up this Friday. Uh, just sign up for Lorehaven. You can be the first to know Friday after this release date. Subscribe free to get updates, uh, whatever updates you choose, and follow all of Lorehaven's project to explore fantastical stories for Christ's glory. Stephen, a free plug for Sarah Ella's books, uh, starting with The Wonderland Trials. My teenage daughter's just finished her first book and loved it, and they're already you know, pre-ordering the next one, and they're like, oh, it's several weeks away. I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, that, that seems to be a, a great book. Uh, well, if you, our listener, have any thoughts about this episode, about culture warring, about stories being turned into tools. You know, if you, I'm sure we've all seen some bad examples of that, but what we'd love to hear is a good example of a story that confronts a hot topic, a cultural issue in a good way, in a way that might have even changed your mind or someone else's mind, or at least portrayed an idea in a, a clever and a winsome way, in a artistic way. I'd love to hear some examples where you've seen that. It could be an episode of Star Trek. It could be another TV show or movie or book. Send us that note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on the episode page on our website or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, which I refuse to call X. Next on Fantastical Truth. Whoa, dudes, that was such an edgy movie. The star drinks so much. I wish I could be like him. He just gets whatever he wants. Well, bro, yeah, and that book was amazing. And that hero, he's a real man. I can tell because he drove fast cars. Also, he had like 11 girlfriends and even more visible abs. And he shot people with gun and he doesn't ask nicely for anything. He's a lone free ranger. That's a real man, according to many stories, whether they're fantastical or something else. But how can great stories expose the idol of the real man versus the good man we should strive to know or to become following the best God-man, Jesus Christ? Inspired by Nancy Piercy's new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, we're going to stand tall and take a square-jawed look at this controversy. Meanwhile, O oh culture warrior, I do not tell thee to lay down thine arms, only to follow the wisdom of Faramir. Do not love the weapons for their own sake. And I would add also, don't use stuff as weapons that aren't meant to be used as weapons. That goes expressly against their labeling. If a story is meant to connect people and help us ask these deeper questions, let's use it according to its instructions. Let's not turn our imaginations always to war, but see the place of conflicts in a far better universe in which God wins and we are all former enemies, ransomed if we believe in him, uh, to become daughters and sons. Now we get to enjoy stories for his glories. We continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.